Welcome to Horsepower to Hyperloops, Kettering University's official podcast, where we serve up a smorgasbord of fascinating people, groundbreaking ideas, and noteworthy advancements in fields as diverse as mobility, healthcare, engineering, and technology. You make it convenient, you help people, you close the loop, they can engage faster in their health and their conditions, and we leverage our assets. And so, you know, we have exam rooms that can be used for primary care or chronic care management. They can also be used for behavioral health. So we optimize our space such that we can maximize its utilization, and that drives the cost down. And that's the reason why we can offer prices at the levels that we can. Hi, I'm Tim Troop Noonan your host for the In the Mix section of Horsepower to Hyperloops, where we talk to newsmakers and innovators from around the GMI and Kettering community. And that was GMI grad Lori Fleece, Senior Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of Walmart Health and Wellness, Walmart's two-year-old initiative into offering primary and other healthcare services, both in-store and online. Lori, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Lori, given Walmart's vast footprint and low pricing, its entry into healthcare delivery could, along with other factors like telehealth and other new players in the industry, be a major factor in changing the face of healthcare delivery in America because it'll presumably bring low-cost services to those who previously could not afford or access them. So tell me more about the particulars of Walmart Health and Wellness. So Walmart Health and Wellness has been in business for quite a long time. We have 4,700 pharmacies that sit, you know, in communities that are, we're about 10 minutes from 90% of the population. And so we have been focused on increasing access to just basic essential health. And when we started to look at where our customers needed help in order to save money and live better, healthcare came very high on the list. And the reality is that 43% of Walmart shoppers, cost is a top barrier for them to engage in their healthcare. And healthcare costs continue to rise as do insurance. And it's not sustainable for many families, many of them deciding, you know, whether they go out for dinner or they go see a doctor or even pay an electrical bill. And so how can Walmart use its assets to help the communities that it currently works and the shoppers that it has? Healthcare came high to the list. The other thing is 27% of Walmart shoppers say convenience is the biggest barrier. They are working and the normal healthcare system is not open when they are not working. And so they're looking for more convenience and how they get a doctor's appointment done how they get a school physical done for their children, how they get a dental cleaning and or assessment done. And so convenience is also a big barrier. And last is access. What's really interesting about Walmart is 80% of our locations are in medically underserved communities as designated by HRSA. So the federal government scores every community as to whether or not they have adequate medical services 80% of our stores sit in areas that are medically underserved. So when we look at how we serve the communities that we currently operate, healthcare came very high to the list. 
And when we look at medically underserved, it's the basic essentials. It's the basic primary care, chronic care management, dental services, optometry, audiology, behavioral health, that the provision of those services is not adequate to the population. And so two years ago, almost two years ago, we launched our first Walmart Health Center, which sits within a Walmart Supercenter in Dallas, Georgia, and it provides all of the basic healthcare services an individual will need for very low cash prices, but also with those that have insurance that is covered by their insurance plans. What we found is we had many people in the community who had not seen a doctor in years or had not gotten their teeth cleaned since they were a child. So 30 years, they hadn't seen a dentist that were actually coming in to shop for healthcare services as they were coming into a Walmart and then scheduling appointments to get care. And it's been absolutely incredible in terms of the interest and the, and the demand that we've seen in the communities that we've since opened. The backdrop, of course, is that tens of millions of Americans are either uninsured or underinsured. So the market for low-cost, convenient health care must be huge. Will Walmart Health therefore end up reaching beyond Walmart's traditional market, Lori? What's interesting is many people think Walmart serves middle to lower income, and we actually serve everyone. I think we over-index in that, in that middle income area only at the slight under-indexing on $150,000 households and higher, which tend to be in urban centers where we don't have stores. And so you're right, about less than 10% of the population has no insurance. About 50% of the population are covered by their employers' health plans that are being offered. And then a significant population is covered by either Medicare or Medicaid or a TRICARE for military families. There are many people who are underinsured, meaning they pay a lot of money out of pocket to go and see a doctor. And so they may forego that unless they really need it. And what we wanted to do is put services in place in communities where it's very affordable, almost, almost like a copay for them to go and see a, get an annual physical done. And so they'll go and get that done. And what happens in those times you can see some underlining conditions, whether it might be prediabetes or hypertension, meaning a high blood pressure that may have been undiagnosed, can get diagnosed earlier. Either medication and other treatments can be prescribed so an individual can manage their health better and avoid those conditions getting worse, which ends up being more costly, could lead to hospitalization or other significant complications. Healthcare workers, particularly physicians, are in a much higher pay bracket than your retail associates. How can you maintain low costs in healthcare when you presumably have to have such a high payroll for medical professionals? So it's very similar to the way we run our stores in that you have to optimize your operations so that you can really bring down the cost uh, to serve the community and then pass that cost on to the customers. And I think part of it is if you can optimize your operations, you can still deliver a meaningful business model. The other thing about our centers is we are not just primary care, not just a dental practice, not just an optometry or an audiology or behavioral health. 
we actually are a center that brings a bunch of services together. And what happens is it makes it incredibly convenient. For example, we had a patient coming into the dentist and it became clear that they could be a hypertension patient. And so having the dentist refer the patient to the doctor that was in the next corridor and handhold, it, it could have gone anywhere, but he said, I recommend that you, you see a doctor, this is what I'm seeing as I'm doing your dental exam and making a warm introduction if that patient wanted to, to the primary care doctor that was just an office away and have that condition looked at immediately closes gaps in care. Many people will go into one service to be sent to another one and they never make it. You know, when you look at lab draws, 40% of all scripts to get blood work done never get filled because you're creating more friction for an individual. They have to figure out where to go, schedule another time. And life is busy. If I can get it done right there and then, they end up closing the loop and actually figuring out if there is an issue and what kind of treatment is necessary for them to improve their health. And so Back by to bringing, the issue of convenience. Correct. If you make it convenient, you help people, you close the loop, they can engage faster in their health and their conditions, and we leverage our assets. And so, you know, we have exam rooms that can be used for primary care or chronic care management. They can also be used for behavioral health. So we optimize our space such that we can maximize its utilization. And that drives the cost down. And that's the reason why we can offer prices at the levels that we can. In its first two years, Walmart Health and Wellness has opened various services in three or four states. I understand Florida is next, but that's just a tiny fraction of Walmart's stores and markets. How fully do you plan to build out and how long will that take? So we do have locations of Walmart Health, which are those multi-practice locations in Georgia, Chicago, and Arkansas. Mm-hmm. We have some primary care clinics in Texas. We may be looking to expand to be broader services. And we have made announcements that we will be opening in Florida. We have construction underway in Florida, and there are definitely areas of need in you know, several areas in Florida that are medically underserved the population has higher demand than the current providers will do. As I mentioned, 80% of Walmart's locations are in medically underserved communities. So technically, we're looking at every community that has that is underserved medically and determining whether or not we should open a Walmart health center and what collection of services best meets the need of the community. And we'll continue to open more locations as we see the need and it being a good match with our real estate. In some of our locations, the real estate isn't going to allow us because we're constrained in footprint. It's not going to allow us to open. And I certainly don't see us having Walmart Health Center in all 4,700 locations that we have because the medical needs are are not going to be that high across every single site we have. So it'll be driven a little bit by uh, your need. By the needs of the community. That's right. And what services we put in and how much space we put in for those services will be dictated by the community. But I'd also say, Tim, that, you know, COVID has accelerated the whole concept of telehealth. Right. And so how you partner digital healthcare provision with a physical center 
is really key to our strategy. We want to be able to provide the customers the most convenient care based on the condition that needs the attention and based on the what's going to be most convenient and effective in providing that care. And so during the pandemic, you saw a huge increase in people using telehealth services to get care. It was safer for the clinician. It was safer for the patient during the COVID pandemic. And I think that educated people in, in the art of what's possible. And I think it is here to stay. Well, obviously, this has to be a good business proposition for Walmart. But at the same time, it seems to me that if you build out to whatever extent you, that ends up being, we've got a broken healthcare system. A lot of people can't get primary care. It's too expensive. They're under or uninsured, as we've already discussed. But this seems to me to be a solution and an opportunity for a lot of people. Will healthcare, and I'm, I'm asking you to look into your crystal ball, and you may or may not want to do that, 10 years from now, maybe partially as a result of Walmart, or partially other factors as well, certainly telehealth, look a lot different than it does now, at least primary healthcare? Yeah, I think it will. I think that we'll, we'll end up seeing it become truly omni-channel, meaning some things you'll go into an office because it, you physically have to touch or test or poke or prod. A lot will be done digitally and, and there will be more done in home. And I think you see a lot of different models. So I think we're just at the beginning of seeing new models of care delivery being given. Very basic telehealth is literally a patient on one end and a provider or a clinician on the other end with a FaceTime you know, Zoom or Zoom-related call. It's just the very basics. But technology is enabling pictures to be taken, more tests to be done. There's a whole bunch of innovation around diagnostics being able to be done remotely, information being able to be tracked in uh, wearables and provided to your clinician such that more 360 view of a patient can be in order to really give them the best uh, course of treatment for whatever it is that's ailing them or whatever goals they may have from a health perspective. So I think it's going to change a lot. It's going to be easier. It's going to be more convenient. It's still going to be incredibly private between the clinician and the patient. And that allows us to be more effective. You know, part of the reason why healthcare is not effective is because the patient doesn't engage when they need to engage. There's not a follow-up. The follow-up is too cumbersome, too much friction. The data is not connected. So I, I think we're just at the beginning of seeing how healthcare uh, provision is going to change for the better. It's going to be lower cost. It's going to be more convenient. And it's going to drive better quality outcomes for the patients. Well, Lori, certainly many people are intent on seeking discounts for home goods or groceries or clothing. But I think that some of those same people might be less inclined to seek discounts in healthcare. I know a lot of people are willing to pay for what they consider the best of the best for their health care and probably don't think of Walmart as the first place to go for that, which is to say it seems that you might be facing a significant challenge in branding. Yeah, I think there's always challenges around brand. But what I would tell you is Walmart is known to be at the center of the community. 
You know, it is about value, which is a combination of price and quality. And in healthcare, quality can't be sacrificed. And that's the reason why our hiring is so critical. We measure our results. And I think, you know, in healthcare, you, you can't afford to have below threshold quality. So, you know, what's interesting is when I first came to the company, we were not going beyond pharmacy and vision centers. We were pretty limited in those areas. And the reality is, is we weren't sure people would come to a Walmart to get basic health care. And I think when we first rolled out Walmart Health, the primary goal was to actually test whether people would come to Walmart to get healthcare services. And what we found is in some communities, there's such a pent up demand. There is such a lack of trust and transparency in the healthcare system that people really did want to come and try. And then the proof is in the pudding, right? It's how the experience goes. It's what kind of care did they get? And from an insurer perspective, it's what kind of outcomes can we drive? So the insurers will continue to contract with us if we're providing good outcomes. If we're not providing good outcomes, the insurers will not allow us to be in their networks and eventually consumers will not be willing to come. So I think healthcare, there's enough regulation, there's enough measurement and enough systems in place. Has the pandemic accelerated your plans at Walmart Health and Wellness and how has it affected the the rest of the operation, the retail operation? Our strategy long before the pandemic was to really allow the customers to shop any way they want, whether it's online or in-store. It may start in one, end in another. It may go back and forth. And to a customer, Walmart is Walmart. They expect to get the same products at the same prices, regardless of how they want to shop. I would tell you that our, while we saw a significant increase in digital shopping, as did the entire industry, not just Walmart, the direction of our business is, is the same. It hasn't changed. It's accelerated in terms of, for example, our online grocery business where people can shop online, they can have it delivered to their home, or they can pick it up you know, on their way home. We had to very, very quickly expand our capacity in that during the COVID pandemic. And, you know, that allowed us to serve more customers during the pandemic in ways that they wanted to shop. But that was more just an acceleration of our expansion rather than something completely new. People enjoy going to shop. So we're seeing people come back, but that doesn't mean they're not still shopping online and liking the convenience of that. So we see that continuing for sure. And it depends on the category. You know, you see some categories where it's more of a commodity. I don't want to touch and feel it. I don't need to touch and feel it. I just right. want it. I just want to get it to my house. And there's other categories that people do want to touch and feel and they want to come into a store, whether it's ours or others, to look at the product, to touch and feel it um, before they make a purchase. We are talking with Lori Fleece, Senior Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of Walmart Health and Wellness. Lori, let me pivot a little. This is a GMI Kettering broadcast, and so I wanted to talk with you a little bit about your career. Tell me about your start at GMI. I was actually uh, management systems, so okay. I was in the small management program, and I started 
at 17 working for GMC Truck in the marketing and sales division, but I rotated through engineering functions, drafting, proving grounds, as well as the dealer, you know, dealer sales, fleet sales, advertising, pricing. And so I started my career at General Motors and, and got my Bachelor's of Science in Management Systems with a marketing major. And you went on for further schooling, correct? At some point? Yep. So at the end of my GMI tenure, there a slight downturn and offers to the co-op students were being held. And I was a very nervous Nelly and, and littered the country with my resume. I remember being in the computer lab when they had that back in, at GMI and printing out cover letters and resumes to send to other prospective employers. I actually got a call from Intel Corporation, another very strong engineering-based company, California and interviewed, and at the same time found that I was accepted to Harvard Business School on a deferred acceptance. And so it was an opportunity for me to decide where I'd work for two years before getting my MBA at Harvard. And I decided to make a move and leave General Motors, which is an incredibly difficult decision. And I went to Intel for two years and worked in the product planning group tied to flash memory products that go into PCs and, and cell phones and are still an important component of the consumer electronics business. And then I went to get my MBA at Harvard. Did you have a vision at that time or did it develop later of where you wanted to go? You couldn't have envisioned your, your current position because it <laughs> didn't exist, but you're in a retail establishment. What were you thinking of your core strengths and, and your career path from that stage? Yeah, I think you know what you get as a co-op student for many of us is you get a lot of diversity of problems that you get brought in to work on. So in my co-op experience, every 12 weeks, I worked on two different projects, one for, one, each one for six weeks. So by the time I finished my five years, I'd worked in 16 different departments of General Motors, Wow! which is an amazing learning experience. When I went to business school, I was recruited into consulting. And I would say that that kind of experience of jumping in on something new, having to work with new people, getting up to speed quickly, and trying to have an impact is the same kind of experience as I had at GM. And so I left Harvard and went into consulting thinking I would do it for a few years, work across a number of industries, and actually figure out which one you know I was interested in. I moved across multiple geographies or offices in consulting. I worked around the globe and 17 years later, I, I actually made the decision to leave consulting. And it was a, a choice from business school I thought I'd do for you know two, three, maybe four years. And 17 years later, I was still doing it. But you um, must have had a, a sort of uh, same experience as you had at, at GMI, but on steroids, consulting yes. in lots of different industries and lots yeah. of different capacities. Was there a underlying theme to your expertise uh, as it developed? Yeah, I think you know, the reason why I decided to go to Bain & Company is it was a generalist model. So you didn't have to declare a industry preference. And to be honest, having done General Motors and semiconductors, I wasn't sure I was passionate about either of those. I, I enjoyed my time. I learned a ton. And so I wanted to see other industries. So at, at Bain, I was a generalist. 
and I worked across many industries, all of the work starts with strategy around, you know, whether it's a growth strategy, a turnaround strategy, a customer strategy, all of it starts with strategy and then was around, okay, so once you know what you want to do, strategy is really about prioritizing, deciding what you're going to do and what you're trying to accomplish by doing it. Then it was around how do you actually implement it to get it done? And so most of my work was, you know, growth or transformation in an industry and started with strategy, but then worked on pieces of implementation, whether it was aligning the organization, whether it was starting a new business, whether it was actually getting cost out of the business, it ran the gamut. And I, I, I learned a ton. I traveled a ton. And I think that, that that is what led to the end of my consulting career is I found I was traveling 50 out of 52 weeks a year. And I had a two-year-old and a seven-year-old. And my seven-year-old left me a note saying he didn't want me to get on another airplane without him. And at that point, you got to ask yourself what your life's all about and uh, what kind of legacy you lead. It's all your family. And so I needed to make a change. And then that's how I ended up finding my way to Walmart. I wasn't a retail expert. I was a, I was a strategy transformation expert. Walmart was at an inflection point. There was a new CEO, Doug McMillan, who had been announced. He was keen to figure out the strategy that would, that would extend Walmart's its track record in the retail industry. And so it was a, just a great opportunity to work with an iconic brand and company and an amazingly smart but humble leadership team to really figure out what was the next you know, three decades, four decades, five decades of Walmart need to look like. An amazing experience since then. It seems like if your expertise is in corporate growth and strategy and you're handling a new initiative for Walmart in sector of the economy that is evolving faster than we can even understand, you're well-placed for what you do. Lori, you've been on a rich and varied path career-wise across industries and across the world. What do you tell young people, students or young professionals who aspire to the C-suite about crafting their vision and then setting out on a path to realize it? Yeah, I think there's two things, or maybe three. One is don't ever think that there's a job below you when you get asked to do something. I remember some of the things I was asked to do as a, as a GMI co-op. And I was like, why are they asking me to do this? I, I'm a smart person. I could do more than this. But the reality is sometimes you get asked to do some basics because testing, you know, how well you'll do the basics in order to give you the opportunities to do more. And so first is there's no job that's below you. It's an opportunity to show what you can do and earn the right to do things that are more interesting. So that would be my first advice. I always found some of the most mundane things led to some amazing opportunities. And because I, I jumped in, you know, with a willingness to get the work done, that, that led to more opportunities. So that would be the first one. The second is it's a marathon, not a sprint. Everybody's this pace that we work on, everybody wants to get promoted faster and, and get things done faster but you do have to pace yourself and really make sure that you're not burning yourself out too early because your judgment and your, you know, your ability to take on projects and see them through 
is definitely you have to you have to treat it like a marathon, not a sprint, and know when to dial it up to five and when to dial it down to three, and that will be fine. And then the last one I would say is be intentional. Know what's important to you at different points of your life and what you're trying to solve for, and then be intentional on the decisions you've made. I moved within Bain to different geographies. It was very intentional. It was a mix of personal and professional goals that I had. And since I've been at Walmart, been very intentional about moves that I've made and what I wanted to get out of them and why I was doing it. And I think the more you, when you get asked to do a project, you get asked to take a new job, you know, they want you to say yes, but know why you're saying yes. Don't say yes just because they want you to say yes. Say yes because you know what you're going to get out of it and you know how it might lead to other opportunities in the future. It's going to lead to growth. It's going to lead to learning. It's going to lead to the ability to try new things, to learn new skills. It's going to be a stepping stone to something else. But know why you're doing it before you say yes. And be okay to say no if there's not a good reason. I was going to say, implicit in that is giving yourself permission to say no. That's right. That's right. I think when people are young, they're worried about saying no. But if you have a good reason to say no, you should say no. But if you say yes, know why you're saying yes and make sure it's for something for you and you're not just saying yes to please other people. How old are those kids now? My kids are 11 and 15. Wow. Uh, at least the younger one and to a larger extent, the older one have, have grown up in Arkansas and mom's been around a lot. Yeah, it's been a completely different experience from when we were in L.A. and I was traveling I was doing around the world trips for a client. It's definitely a different, it's a different experience. <laughs> well, Lori Fleece, thank you very much for your time. And thank you for sharing your thoughts with us about healthcare, about Walmart, uh, about a career in business all over the different industries. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be back talking to GMI slash Kettering folks. I truly enjoyed my time and it was a pivotal, important part of my career. Join us again to hear Kettering University's podcast, Horsepower to Hyperloops, available from wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening.